You are listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcva.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Well, good morning, church. If you want to open your Bibles with me, the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm 127. Psalm 127 as we start a new series called One Big Mountain, every generation reaching the next generation. I want to remind you that our content team has put together a devotional walk right alongside the sermon you're about to hear. Text mountain to 45776. FBCBA exists to reach BA and beyond by multiplying disciples to follow Jesus. But how, how do we do that? I mean, how, how do we collectively take what God has blessed us with to fulfill the mission that he's given to us? How can we have every generation reaching and fulfilling the very mission that God, 2,000 years prior, through his son, Jesus Christ, has given his church? Well, we once again, we look to him. And in looking to him, we look to the scriptures. And you will find that every man of significance in the Bible gave their heart and mind to reaching the generations. God comes to Abram in in Genesis 12 and says, leave, leave your family, leave your kindred, leave your belongings and go to a place that I will show you. And in doing so, I'm going to change your name, Abram, from Abram to Abraham. Why? Because you will be a father of many nations. One of the most significant figures in the entire Old Testament, a man by the name of Moses, when God gave his law to his people, he said in entrusting this law, you must entrust this day by day to faithful generations. Jesus, the greatest disciple maker the world has ever seen, chose 12 specific men, random in their gifting, multiple in their generations, and he changed the world. An old Paul told a young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, entrust these things to faithful men, and then he lists four generations. So what I want to do is I want to, in four weeks, I'm going to begin to give you a vision Bring into focus what the Lord has placed on my heart and our pastor's hearts and our leader's hearts of how we can collaborate one another, every generation to reach the next generation. That how we can with intentionality and allocation give our resources and our time to reaching what God says matters most. To build his kingdom, to build his ministries, to build your families. It's not always the easiest thing, is it? In fact, I read of a man this week by the name of Addison Meisner, who at one time was the most popular architect in all of America in the 1920s. And he had this amazing ability, Addison did, to blend a Mediterranean and a Spanish colonial style, and then in a relative way, contrast that with, even with among opulence, a culture that was very much the same and ordinary. But Edison Meisner was anything but ordinary. In fact, he, he was famous in South Florida for building multi-level homes with no stairs. And so one of his clients came to him one day and said, I'm amazed by this house. And he said, I'd really love to show my friends the blueprints. Can I have them? And the homeowner was, was a little struck by, by Edison's unintentional nature because it wasn't reflective of how he, as an architect, built the home at all. And yeah, well, I'll, I'll see if I can get those to you. And so weeks went by and still no blueprints. And so finally he came back to Addison and said, look, I, I need these blueprints. I want to show my friends. And Addison family said, construction first, blueprints second. 
that Addison Meisner built a majority of his home without blueprints. You see, tragically, many families in America were doing the same. That we are going through life and we're building our marriage and families out of alignment of God's clear blueprint in his word. Consequently, then we model the divine intent that God has designed for marriage and for family. And as a result, we have skyrocketing divorce rates, fractured families, social and gender confusion, rampant cohabitation, and a society that grows weaker and more divisive day by day. Today, I want to, from Psalm 127, I want to begin to communicate our church's vision of a collaboration of ministry and mission of every generation reaching the next generation. Now, Psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm. It is a psalm of ascent that falls into two particular parts, verses 1 through 2 and verses 3 through 5. Its content is very similar to the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. That is because Psalm 127 is one of only two psalms written by Solomon. This psalm had a significant spiritual investment in God's people as they would often sing this song on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and many other feasts. In fact, even within our own country, Psalm 127 was read at the inauguration of our 34th president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and arguably one of our country's greatest generals. And upon his death, at his bedside, George Washington's Bible, our first president, and arguably greatest president, was opened to Psalm 127. You see, in Psalm 127, Solomon focuses on the life of the family. He details God's intentional involvement and fervent desire to be infused in all aspect of one's family and one's household. And so as we walk out of here and do life and go to lunch, and as we begin to work out the truths of this psalm, may you be encouraged that God is already at work, that it is God who has entrusted and designed your home to build it with you because it is God who builds families. With this in mind, let's then give our heart to these two sections of Psalm 127. First, the first two verses, and then the second section, verses three through five. And your Bible says this in Psalm 127, verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, Solomon says, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For God and God alone gives to his beloved sleep. Solomon in verse 1 expounds on the absolute necessity of dependence upon God. His active, direct, divine involvement in all areas of your life. That is why he pointedly says in verse 1, nothing less than God building the house. Nothing less than God building your family. If not, everything else is in vain. Solomon uses a word here for build in verse 1, bana in the Hebrew. It means two things. One, to physically construct a dwelling. Secondly, to spiritually raise a family throughout the Old Testament. 
Solomon is saying here, as an ongoing reality, God loves to build strong families. That God lovingly desires to be the epicenter of every home. That God, in the order of creation, sees the family as the foundational building block of a strong, vibrant society. And did you notice there's two builders in verse 1? There's a primary builder, God himself. There's then a secondary builder, which is us. It is God's desire that one's character is shaped and molded and multiplied in the home. That God builds in and through us and thus God builds with us each and every home. For the home is to be the cornerstone of all spiritual development. Thus the mission field begins in the home. Unless the Lord builds the house, Solomon says, it's built in vain. Now Solomon knew a thing or two about architecture. In fact, Solomon was a master architect, a wise builder. You'll remember in 1 Kings 5 through 8 that God had entrusted him to build the temple. This wasn't a menial task. Solomon spared no expense. Solomon oversaw over 150,000 workers to accomplish this feat. Solomon also, though, spent an exponential amount of more time building his own physical house. You see, Solomon could build things. He could build God's temple. He could build his house. But he needed God to build his home. There's a difference. That is why Solomon is so stressing a renunciation of an attitude that despises to desire anything else besides God. To depend upon self and self alone. No, he says, nothing less than God building the house. Nothing less than God building the family. If not, it's in vain. And Solomon builds on this biblical point that is mentioned in the New Testament as well. Remember Jesus, the master disciple maker who loved the Psalms, by the way. Did you realize that Jesus quoted the Psalms and the Gospels 93 separate times? And Jesus takes this same point of a life dependent upon God alone. When he says on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, of an imagery of two men, one who does what he says is in alignment with the way of the Lord. And it's like he built his house on a rock and the rains came and the winds blew and the house stood because it was built on a rock. Secondly, of a foolish man who heard the words of God, who knew the way of God, but built his own way. And he built on the sand. And the rains came and the winds blew. And mighty was it fall. No wonder Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We can't build without him. God desires to build with us, but we can't build without him. And so that is why Solomon, for the third time in verses 1 and 2, uses this phrase, it is in vain. 
emphasizing the hopelessness of one's frantic, ceaseless endeavors to begin and end their work without God. To aspire within their own power, something that is an out of alignment to God's ways. Now Solomon here isn't discounting human effort, but he emphasizes in verse two that work apart from God is pointless, fruitless, and restless. He says in verse two, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God alone gives to his beloved sleep. The view that man could build his life in his own way, could build his family and his fortunes and his reputation in his own power, only accomplishes one thing. It is anxious, sleepless toil that will end in vain. Now I'll remind you that vain is the opposite of peace throughout the Bible. But can I tell you that many in our society are choosing to do their own way, are choosing to build within their own power, are choosing to trust that their future is better than God's future. No wonder over 70 million Americans struggle with insomnia the ability to sleep or to stay asleep. One in five of us this morning, though our bodies are weary and tired, we're eight days into 2023, it seems like eight months. We're overwhelmed with calendaring and schedules and texts and emails and phone calls and relationships. And though our mind is exhausted, our bodies are weary and tired. We can't go to sleep. Could it be in God's kindness that he's reminding us through this? Are we building things our way or his way? Are we in charge or is he in charge? Are we doing this in our power and with our control or his power and his control? You see, do you notice this phrase, it is vain, it is vain, it is vain? Solomon ends this point in verse 2 by saying, in contrast, for God alone gives to his beloved sleep. That for those who truly by faith have an ongoing attitude to confidently surrender all things to God's higher power, God's sustaining care, God's sufficient protection, God will give his rest. You see, sleep in verse 2 can include prosperity can include honor. It suggests here that God himself supplies the very need to those whom he loves. You see, we do not let our lives keep us down because God is always up. God is always on watch. God is always alert and ready when we come to him. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 121, verse 4, for God then is our righteous protector because he neither sleeps nor slumbers. God is not surprised by our surprises. He's ready. 
Britt and I got a surprise yesterday when my father-in-law showed up to our house with a trailer that contained a keyboard from him and my mother-in-law. So my two girls and whoever else in my home wants to learn the piano. They graciously gave this incredible gift to my girls. He also, though, was wise in that he included headphones so we didn't have to listen to them practice and use his keyboard. He then also brought steak and sausage, so he's truly and unquestionably a man of God. And we enjoyed this incredible fellowship almost the entire day. And we got to the end of the night, and he came to Bryn and said, you know what? I'm going to need not one cup of coffee to get home, but two. You see, this farmer, this man of God, was tired, weary. He'd been up before the sun rised. And to drive that truck, to pull that trailer, he was going to need not one cup of coffee, but two. I don't know what it is that is wearing you down. I don't know what it is that is keeping you up. But here's what I do know. God does not need two cups of coffee. God is your righteous protector. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. What surprises you has never surprised him. Trust his way, not your own. Trust his power, not your own. Give him control and release control and God will give his rest to you. God desires to build your life. God desires to build your future. God desires to build your family. Can't you see now why in this second section that Solomon now emphatically says, look, listen, in verses three through five. That Solomon delightfully expresses that children then are an inheritance from the Lord. He says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're the fruit of the womb, they're a reward. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. For blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Solomon says children are gifts from God to you. That they are gifts as an inheritance that God providentially assigns to you in your home. Children then are a gift and a reward. Grandchildren especially are, right? They're God's ultimate reward for you stewarding well the gift that he entrusted you with. You see, they're not a curse, but they're a blessing. They're a responsibility, not a burden. They're not an interruption. They're not an inconvenience. They're God's best to you. Therefore, investing in your family is the most profitable investment that you can ever make. You know, through the years, I, I've, I've never met anyone who wished they spent more time at work, working. But I've met countless people 
who had wished they had spent more time with their family. God has so designed the family, your marriage, under his order and supervision is the means in which God gives us your greatest significance in his great joy. Thus, a godly family is one of the greatest treasures God gives, and nothing rivals its worth. In fact, Solomon goes on to say that a godly family gives two blessings ongoingly. One, a meaningful impact. Number two, a lasting legacy. He says in verse four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. He invokes here a familiar imagery of protection. But in doing so, he stresses here an important proverbs. You see, arrows are by nature an offensive weapon. Arrows follow the result and the intent of a bow. Arrows follow the consequences of what the bow has aimed at. And thus arrows were a means of great protection to warriors. And it's this imagery that Solomon to his audience enforces. The children, God's way, are an extension of their parents. That they continue this lineage and legacy of faith. Remember what God told Adam and Eve in the garden, that they were to go forth and multiply, that they were to rule and subdue and to have dominion over everything in the garden, that they would have children who would have children who would have children, that they were to be reminded of that they were made by God to live for God, that it was his glory that emanated from them because they were made in his image, that they were distinct from all other creation, and that in their responsibilities, they were not to worship the gift, but rather they were to fall more and more in love with the giver, and they were to live their life from moment to moment, from conversation to conversation, from house to house, for the glory of God. And it is this privilege that we have in raising godly families that God so graciously bestows to us. But see, spiritually, arrows can have an unquestionable impact. For those of us who choose an intentional investment of a prayerful biblical instruction, of Christ-centered devotion, of spirit-led gospel multiplication in our home, we can have an ongoing, meaningful impact that grows the kingdom. The choice is just simply which bow we choose to place the arrow. Solomon now has belabored this point of you choosing one or two ways of life, our way or God's way. One, God promises blessing and rest and fulfillment. The other one has no such promise. And so let's say that this arrow given to me graciously by our next generation team represents our way. You can get this arrow on Amazon for $6.46. You can go buy it at the Walmart or BA for seven bucks. This bow is mass-produced. It was not built with the end in mind. It was built on convenience. It was built as a means of other millions of other like bows, not to last, but to get your attention and to hold your attention 
Not on something that matters most, but on something that matters now. And thus this arrow reflects this bow. This arrow, you'll be able to shoot it, but not with the end or target in mind. But no, rather just for the mere fun of going through life. Of whatever it is that you try to desire, no objectives, no fulfillment, all now. And this arrow will last a handful of times. And then they're going to want you to buy another bow and arrow for $6.46 or 7 bucks. You see, that's the way the world is in our way. We don't live with the end in mind. We place a permanence on convenience and comfort. And thus, instead of our aim being on God's kingdom and Christ, we instead unintentionally aim it at ourselves or other things. And thus, we go through life home by home, relationship by relationship, job by job, earnestly seeking in this bow and in our way something that it was never intended to do. And we shoot these arrows out and there's no meaningful impact. And the very thing that God entrusted to us, his best, his reward, without intentionality, without purpose, it's shot into the dark, never to be seen again. But by God's grace, there's another way There's another way in which you and I can live and go about life. This was given to me by one of the greatest hunters in our entire church. It is not the exact bow, but it is a replica of the bow that his father made for him. A bow that was designed from the beginning with the end in mind. A bow that was made based upon the measurements of the one who was to shoot it. A bow who was made for the intent of the arrow to come from it. A bow that was made from the best wood money can buy to last generation to generation. This bow and arrow from Walmart's gonna last 10 days. This one will last 100 years. A bow that was cured meticulously, perfected by time, the discipline of shooting over and over and over again so the exact specifications of the bow and arrow can be entwined to fulfill the target and to accomplish meaningful impact. A bow that was strategically prepared with the arrow in mind. An arrow that is not flimsy. An arrow that you can't fold in your pocket and forget about. An arrow that is strategically designed to be precise in fulfilling the intent of the bow. An arrow that can hit a precise target over and over and over again. Not necessarily for me. I actually did this presentation at the 930 service with the bow backwards, right? (laughs) But can I tell you, God has such a way by his grace of fulfilling you and through you if you choose his bow in his righteousness, in his ways, God will take these arrows in places and in ways that you never even thought imaginable. And so it's within this illustration, let me be very careful here, that I now want to challenge us on how to place these arrows 
that God will bless your home in God's righteous bow. And how to allow God in his way to saturate and be infused with every part of your home. You see, arrows can't shoot themselves. Arrows can't be straight on their own. And so when we place our arrows in God's righteous bow, they must be shaped by God's word. That there must be a dominating saturation of the word of God in all aspects of your home. The authorial intent of this word, this is not a reminder, this is not a suggestion. This is God's word. It must be the guiding light. It must be the fulfilling path. It must be the standard in which we shape all of our identity and worth and objectives in our life. It is from this that God then will humbly give you arrows that are crooked because we're all sinful. But he will by grace, conversation by conversation, mistake by mistake, joy by joy, high times and low times will shape this arrow by his word for meaningful and maximum impact. Secondly then, we must also then correctly aim at his gospel. This is why we must constantly, as the center of our home, place the risen Christ. Because it is from Christ that we have our identity. It is from Christ that we find the fulfillment of our value and worth. It is not based upon work. It is not based upon education. It is not based upon prestige and title and accomplishments. And all of those things have significance. But they all must be means to the greater end of Christ's work on our behalf. On who Christ says we are. On what Christ has earned as a result of his sinless substitute. On his selfless sacrifice. And by his work, God has given us by faith something we could never do on our own. That we could never achieve on our own. Righteousness and holiness an eternal value before a holy God. It is this aim that we day by day with a diligent discipline, humbly train those God has placed in our home and in our church to willfully surrender each and every morning to King Jesus and his plan, to champion obedience, to empower a life of faith over a life of comfort and sight. To raise these arrows to be what God intended to be. To hit the target of his glory as we follow Christ. May God shape us by his word. May God correctly give us the diligence to aim at his gospel. May finally, may we release them for his mission. An arrow will never achieve the supreme significance of its design until it has been released. And if we're not careful in our homes and in our lives, and with that, those things God's entrusted to us, have we released them? You see so many of us shaped by God's word. Amen. Quickly aimed at his gospel. Amen. Released for his mission. It's not always the easiest thing, is it? May we, as we build one big mountain 
of every generation reaching the next generation. May God, through his word and by his spirit, continually guide and sustain and empower us to release these arrows on a path to do whatever he is leading to follow Jesus. May we champion what it is in regard to these dreams and passions that God has placed in our home. And may we say, go, run for Jesus. May we have this diligence, this biblical worldview of living with the end in mind, of realizing that these children that God has blessed, these grandchildren, they're not ours totally. They're an inheritance from the Lord. They're a reward. They're a gift that God has entrusted to us to be shaped, to be aimed, and to be released. And God may have an impact that is so meaningful that only he gets the glory. And in doing so, he gives us more than what we could ever ask for. Not just meaningful impact, but also a lasting legacy. Look at verse 5. For blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. That the ripple effect of a godly family is not only a meaningful impact, but an ongoing blessing through a lasting legacy that goes on and on and on from generation to generation. Thus, building a godly family makes life worthwhile. It adds significance to your life and legacy to your death. Thus, there is no greater responsibility. There's no better work than raising your children and grandchildren and building a family that follows and trusts the Lord. No job or title or paycheck or accomplishment will ever give you the joy that a godly family, that God gives to a godly family. May we then give our best talents. May we then give our best efforts, our best years in raising and building godly families as God builds with us. Earlier in my sermon, I used an illustration of, of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, who says, For those who hear my words and do them, they're like a wise man who built on the rock. For those who hear my words and don't do them, no, they built on the sand, and great was their fall. Well, later in his ministry, in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus uses a similar imagery about one who desires to build a tower, one who desires to go about an intentional way of life. But before they build, they must first count the cost. Have you counted the cost lately in building a godly family? One of the blessings of a multi-generational church is that we, from generation to generation, get to see God's goodness and grace and sustenance as we persevere in this mission. We get to see the benefits of rewards and hope when things get tough. And if you talk to our, our older members, so one of the things that's constant, they'll tell you, Pastor, the days are long, sometimes hard. 
but the weeks and months and years are short. And I want to end with this illustration. This jar represents a kindergartner. 13 years that God will allow them to be in your home. Each marble represents a week. And so for 13 years or 676 weeks, oh, the days will be long, hard. But the weeks and months and years will be short. This second jar represents a sixth grader. And for seven more years, God will entrust, allow to be in your home, or 364 more weeks. Have you counted the cost? The days will be long, but the weeks and months and years will be short. This last jar represents a senior in high school who just started their last semester of school, or they have 22 weeks left. The days will be long, but the weeks and months and years will be short. And can I tell you with this in mind, it has emboldened us to live with intentionality, to ask God to give us an allocation of time and resources and people to truly treasure and fulfill what he says matters most. And so as God builds this one big mountain, every generation reaching the next generation, we are for this upcoming year in 2023, gonna to begin to bring into focus what it looks like to count the cost in your home and in our ministry. And we focus this on four primary things. Number one, milestones of faith in your home and in our church. Spiritual objectives in your home and in our ministries and church. Daily and weekly and monthly rhythms in your home and in our ministries and in our church. Finally, a discipleship path that we can together build godly families that glorify the Lord. That we can unleash arrows from our home with meaningful impact and a lasting legacy as we reach BA and beyond by multiplying disciples to follow Jesus. May God give us one big mountain of every generation reaching the next generation as God builds families. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast and always remember you are loved.